Think with me about if you were interviewing, well, that's maybe a too formal a term. Anyway, you think about somebody you want to be a friend of yours. Somebody you're looking at and you're evaluating as whether they could be a good friend. What are some of the questions you'd be asking yourself? First of all, <clears throat> that they are there in your life and that they exist as a possibility of being a friend. Then you would begin to evaluate, well, what kind of friend do I think they would be? Do they look like, number one, they're trustworthy? And as you get to know them, how trustworthy are they? If you get to the point with somebody, you say you trust them with your bank account, that's a whole lot of trust. If you trust them with your family, that's a whole lot of trust. Uh, as you get to know them better, <clears throat> maybe you'd feel like, hey, I can increase the trust levels that I've got in them. Are they somebody that you think will go the distance with you? That they're not just going to be there on the good days, they're going to be there on the tough days. They will go the distance. They won't just be a friend for <clears throat> six weeks, six months. They're a friend that you think you could probably go a lifetime with and can adjust with you at the different stages of life. This friend that you're looking at, this possibility of a friend, is someone who <clears throat> appears to have the ability to accept you even on the days that you're at your worst that will love you even on the days that you're unlovable and that will forgive you even when you screw up and you mess up in the friendship. And so as you evaluate them day after day and week after week, you believe, hey, I've really got a friend here that's a rarity, that's someone that's going to go the distance with me. What you're doing is you're developing faith in that person. And in order to have that friendship and that friendship to go the distance, the faith that you've got in them has got to stay there and has got to grow stronger and has got to go through adjustments. It's the exact way it is in our relationship with God. We have to make an evaluation. Can I really trust Him? <clears throat> Can I really have faith in God? Will He go the distance with me? Will He be there on the good days and the bad days? Can I trust Him? with every area of my life, what areas do I feel like I can trust him in, what areas do I feel like I'm not sure I can trust him in, can I really trust God, can I have faith in him? That's why faith is so important, essential in our relationship with God. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. We saw last week as we begin to move through this chapter that faith is identified as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Those two terms, substance and evidence, go back to business documents in that day when a document was executed in those days at the conclusion of that document, you would sign on to it, committing yourself to whatever the document was calling upon you, and it gave you a title deed to whatever it is that you were purchasing. And so the idea of faith is that it is the title deed to the promises and the person of God. In other words, we tap into and begin to live into the promises of God and the character of God when we place our faith in the Lord. Now, we saw that the foundation of faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Faith is not a leap into the dark. Faith is not a hoping something's going to happen. Faith's not trying to emotionally, psychologically work myself up into it. Faith is saying, I believe in the character and the person of God. I believe He's who He says He is. And I believe in the promises of God and will walk in them simply because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How do I know that Jesus rose from the dead? Because the resurrection meets the criteria of any historical event. And so as sure as Jesus rose from the dead, I can place my faith in the Word of God, in the promises of God, in the person of God. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the illustration I used with you of how faith functions is this. Suppose you had a relative who willed to you a mansion. You've never seen the mansion. You've never been in the mansion. But when you go to the settlement of the estate, they tell you in that settlement... You've got a mansion. Here's the document. All you've got to do is sign the title and the mansion is yours. Even though you've never seen it, it's yours. You sign it. In faith, what do you do? You get in your car and you drive to the address where they tell you the mansion is. By faith, what do you do? You get out holding that title deed with your signature on it and you walk up the steps and you put the key in trusting that key is going to get you in. As you turn the key, the door opens and you walk into that mansion and it's yours. And then you begin the process of exploring for room to room to room. That's how faith operates. Faith is that title that I've got to the mansion of the promises of God and the work of God in my life. And I walk up there and through prayer and through faith, I open the door and I begin to go in and I spend a lifetime exploring and walking and living in the promises of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is faith so important? We're going to see that today in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning with verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That is God. For whoever would draw near to God, got to do what? Must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now what the writer of Hebrews here does in verses 6 and 7 is he explains to begin with why faith is so important. And in verse 7 he holds up Noah as an example of what this faith is that he's talking about. So let's get into it. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 6. Faith lives, thrives in a friendship with God. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, the word there that's translated to please God means to give pleasure to God. In other words, it is impossible to give pleasure to the Lord without faith. Now, so many times when we talk about the Lord, we talk about how we sort of want God to give pleasure to us. God answers my prayers, He gives pleasure to me. God does what I'm asking Him to do, He gives pleasure to me. A lot of times we get ticked off with God because He's not giving pleasure to us. But that is not the idea of the verse here. It says, without faith, I can't give pleasure to God. So instead of God giving pleasure to me, it's rather the perspective that, Lord, I'm living my life to try to bring pleasure 
to you. And without faith, it's impossible for me to give pleasure to the Lord, to put a smile on His face, for Him to look and to be satisfied and happy with the way that I am living. Now, the book of Hebrews is written to believers who were undergoing a tremendous amount of persecution for their faith. And so he's writing here and he's basically saying, hold on to the faith. And I'm going to give you examples of how people that went before you held on to their faith when they went through really difficult times. And the one he's going to point out to us today is going to be Noah. Now he says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for the person who pleases God has to have faith in God. And he says, whoever would draw near to God has to believe that he exists. Whoever would draw near to God, again, the the actual Greek language there means would come up on God, comes close to God. So he's saying if you and I want to have a close relationship with the Lord, we've got to have faith. And if we don't have that faith, we are not going to have a close relationship with the Lord. Now, one of the reasons Satan is going to attack your faith every way he possibly can is because Satan knows that your faith is the key to having a close relationship with God. So he wants to do everything he can to degrade our faith, tear down our faith, so that he can tear down our relationship with the Lord. Now notice how he says this faith has to exist. He says, first of all, verse 6, we have to believe that God exists. You must believe You want to draw near to God, you must believe that God exists. Now that may sound extremely basic. I got to believe that the Lord exists and I want to have a relationship with Him. You know, like going back to the friendship thing, I got to believe my friend even exists and want to have a relationship. But the idea here is not just that God exists, but how does He exist? First of all, I'm believing that He is the one who exists as the miracle working God of the Old Testament. This is the God that I'm believing in who delivered his people from Egyptian bondage into freedom. This is the God who delivered them through the Red Sea. This is the God who provided for them in the wilderness. In other words, the God that I am trusting in and that I'm believing in has already established a record years ago, decades ago, centuries ago, millennial ago, That he has the power to deliver. He has the power to provide through whatever difficult senses I'm going through. He is the miracle working God of the Old Testament. Second, he is the God who is the personal creator. God spoke in Genesis and he came into existence. He's a personal creator. In Psalm 139 it says that he is the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. In other words, God, like someone would carefully sew something together, even so the Lord sewed us together, so to speak, when we were in our mother's womb. He was vitally involved in our personal creation. He is the God who works in us and through us in the very fact that we are alive. I want to read for you from Job chapter 10. Job chapter 10. And as you turn there, or as you look on the screen, I want to set the context for this. 
Job wrote these words in a prayer to God, or spoke these words in a prayer to God, after he had lost just about everything. He had lost most of his family. He had lost most of his friends. He had lost his wealth. So he's not writing this out of a context of everything's going my way. He's writing this out of a context of everything's going sideways. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Let's go back to that. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Now, I got on YouTube and watched a YouTube video of how they make cheese. Because I thought, what is he driving out here? I found some interesting things about how you make cheese. First of all, it takes about 10 hours to go from just milk to cheese in modern-day cheese making. In the ancient world, it would have taken a lot longer than that. Second, when you make cheese, curdle them like cheese, it's very labor-intensive. The person who's making it is constantly standing there working that milk over as it begins to curdle to make it into the cheese. Very labor-intensive. Secondly, depending on the kind of cheese you are making, you have to use different ingredients and different styles of work in order to make the specific kind of cheese you want. Now, when he says here, did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, Job is basically saying, Lord, you poured me out like milk. What I've been through lately, I feel like I've been poured out like milk. But you were pouring me out for a reason. Because you see, the cheese maker knows that at the end of the process, what kind of cheese they're making, the purpose of that cheese, the design of that cheese. You curdled me like cheese, Lord. You had a purpose and a plan for what you're doing for me. Even if I don't totally understand it and grasp it, you've got a purpose and a plan, God, for what you were doing. And you were curdling me in the kind of cheese you want to make me. I don't know how many people in this room are right now, but however many people are sitting in this room, that's how many different types of cheese we got in here. Each of you is a unique personality that God has been shaping and working and will continue to shape and work in for the specific purpose that he's got for your life. The pouring out process is not fun. The curdling process often is not fun because we're getting worked over when that happened, but God has an objective. Let's go to the next verse, verse 11. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit me together with bones and sinews. Now verse 12. You have granted me life and steadfast love. You've granted me life and steadfast love. Job is standing there after all the losses that he has incurred. And he said, God, your love goes the distance. It's not a 24-hour-a-day love. It's not something that runs out in 24 days. Your love is a steadfast love. It will go the distance. I just got to hang in there with your love. And then notice what he says, And your care has preserved my spirit. Your care has preserved my spirit. In other words, Lord, even though I've had these great losses, even though I have agonized, even though I have shed bitter tears, my spirit is not crushed. Why? Not because I've kept it together, but because you have kept it together. Folks, we're all going to go through times in life when if it's up to us to keep it together, we are in trouble. 
But if it's up to God to keep us together, we will get it through. He's saying, you have preserved my spirit. This is the God who is the personal creator. He is the God that we believe in, who we trust, who speaks through his son. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, and at many ways, God spoke to us by our father, by our fathers, by the prophets. He's speaking back to all those prophets who had written up to that point. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk, etc. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Writer here is saying, who do we believe in? He's our personal creator. He's the miracle worker. But he is the God who has spoken to us by his son. Who is Jesus? He's the one who's been appointed the heir of all things. He's the one who created this world. How is Jesus speaking to us primarily today? Through the person, through the words, and through the life of his son. Follow me on this. If you and I are going to see our faith grow, we have to learn to really Listen to Jesus. Not just hear God, but really listen to God. And that begins with deciding that God, I want to really want to listen to you. And he takes us there in this next verse in Hebrews chapter 11. He says that we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, the journey is worth it. Putting faith in him is worth it. It says that he rewards those who will seek him. Now, please follow me on this. What in the world is he talking about when he says that he rewards those who seek him? This is how we are tempted to interpret that. He's going to reward me by making me rich. He's going to reward me By answering all my prayers and making life just the way I want it. Make me a success. Because that's how we interpret reward in our culture. And when you were growing up as a kid and you behaved yourself, what did your parents do? They gave you a cookie. Or a toy. We get older, we get rewards. What do we normally associate awards with? Some type of success. But that's not necessarily the way God rewards us seeking Him. And we have to be real careful at this point because often we can be seeking the Lord and God doesn't give us the success we're looking for. He doesn't answer prayer the way we wanted him to answer prayer. He doesn't pour a bunch of material stuff on us. And so it's easy to start thinking, well, God's not rewarding me for seeking him. So what does it mean for God to reward us if we seek him? It means that we will find him when we seek him. I can't say this strong enough. The greatest reward for seeking Jesus is Jesus. It's not what Jesus can do for me. It's not what Jesus can give me. It's not how successful Jesus can make me feel. The greatest reward for seeking Jesus is finding, knowing, walking closer with Jesus. It means that I am learning how to live in the promises of God, live out of the promises of God, and live on the promises of God. 
It means that I will experience His love, His holiness, and His presence in an ever greater way. And since He rewards me with a deeper, richer relationship with Him. The folks that He's writing to, we think they may have been Jewish Christians who were living in and around Rome. If that's the case, there was a huge neighborhood community that lived across from the city of Rome in what we would call today a massive public housing project. Because that's where the poor people of Rome lived. It's across the Tigris River from the city of Rome. It was dirt poverty over there. The buildings were constructed so poorly that they were known to collapse and kill people without any warning. These folks are being persecuted for their faith, living in poverty in these big, massive work projects. And he's saying, if you seek after the Lord, he's going to reward you. But one of the ways that God rewarded them was by them suffering with Jesus, for Jesus. Now, we don't associate suffering with the Lord and for the Lord as a reward. We tend to think of that as punishment. But in reality, suffering for the Lord and with the Lord is an honor. Because anywhere Jesus is, to be with Him is an honor. Even if He's being rejected, to be with Him in the rejection is an honor. To walk in a deeper relationship with Him and to know Him and experience Him. And the first task of knowing Him, is to get at His feet. Do you see that with the disciples? When Jesus walked up to them and He said, two words, follow me. What did they do? They started in that relationship with Him of getting deeper and closer with Him by following Him and they had faith in Him every day that they walked with Him that the journey was worth it and there was a reward there. Not that they were going to get richer or more successful because they got hints as they went along they weren't going to get richer and successful. If anything, it was going to be the exact opposite. But they were really going to experience Him and get to know Him. I mean, think of some of the experiences they had as they trusted Him and they followed Him. They go into Gardea, and they hear this demoniac running around out in the cemetery. They are screaming and yelling and like a maniac. And what does Jesus do? He makes a beeline straight for the cemetery. And they were probably thinking, good gracious, where is this taking us? But what they came to know and what they came to experience of him that day as they sought him, as they followed him, as they put faith in him, is that this is a guy who's got power over darkness. You see, the reason we tend to think that we have no power as the body of Christ today over the darkness in our culture is because we're too afraid to follow Him and watch Him face it down and conquer it. As long as we pull back because we're scared all the time of what the devil's up to and what the devil's going to do, we're never going to see the power of God in demonstration. Jesus says, I'm not going to talk about the power of Satan. We're not going to run away from it. We're heading straight to the cemetery and we're going to face it down today. And you're going to find out what it's like. When he walked into that little town of Nain, and there was a funeral procession going on, Jesus did not say, I don't like dealing with grief, and you don't like dealing with grief, and we're all sort of like this with grief, so we're going to go, and we'll go down this side street and avoid it. What did he do? He headed straight for the funeral procession. He got right in the middle of it. He transformed it. 
Because he's saying, if you follow me, if you want to know me, if you put faith in me, we're going to walk through everything together. And you're going to experience my lordship in the middle of whatever we walk through together. Faith leads to obedience. Notice verse 7. He talks talking about Noah here. He says that Noah constructed an ark out of reverent fear for God. Now, what is this reverent fear he's talking about? It's faith searching for understanding. It's faith searching for understanding. God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you in this. God, I don't understand you. I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you through this. Now, get the picture with Noah. God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. They'd never seen a flood. They didn't even know what it was at that time to have a decent rainstorm. And God's describing a phenomenon nature that Noah had never seen. People had never seen. He says, okay, Noah, I'm going to warn you that I'm going to flood the earth. So I want you to build an ark. And I'm going to give you the dimensions of the ark. And then Noah begins to build this ark, which is bigger than a football field. For 120 years, he works on the ark. Now, 2 Peter says that Noah was what was called a hurl of righteousness. The best we can figure out is that as Noah was building his ark, he was sharing with people about the Lord. Now, couldn't you imagine for 120 years, people are walking up to you and saying, What are you doing, Noah? Why are you building this great big thing? They wouldn't even call it a boat because none of them have seen a boat before. What are you doing, Noah? That's stupid. Noah looks at him and he says, listen, the Lord has spoken to me and the Lord has warned me and the Lord has told me that we're going to send a flood. A what? He's going to send a flood. He's going to flood everything. Water is going to be all over the place. And you need to get right with God. And for 120 years, people reject his message. <clears throat> they poke fun at him. They laugh him, laugh at him. And Noah just keeps preaching and Noah keeps building. That takes faith. And that's how that faith was demonstrated. Reverent fear. God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to keep believing you. Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. God is going to work in your life, and he's going to call you to build something. And it's not going to be an overnight project. And you're going to have to start building in prayer. And you're going to have to start building by faith. And there's going to be a lot of days that's going to seem like a waste of time. And there's going to be days people are going to poke fun at you. And you've got to stay at it. For some of you, your project is your children or your child. And you pray over your child and you try to build into your child's life. And you feel like some days I'm not getting anywhere. But by faith, you keep praying and you keep building. For some of it, it may be your grandchildren. 
It may be a friend. I don't know what the Lord will show you what he's calling you to build. But you keep building because God has spoken. God has called. God empowers. God is able. And faith is built not on the easy days, but on the toughest days. And some days there's a lot of those tough days strung together in the building of faith. That's that reverent fear. That's that faith searching for understanding. Why did Noah do what he did? It wasn't because God threatened him. Noah, if you don't build this ark, I'm going to nuke you. It was because Noah loved the Lord. And folks, what keeps us added in faith is because our love for Jesus is growing. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And notice what it says in verse 7. By faith, Noah, warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. And notice the next phrase. For the saving of his household. For the saving of his household. Why did he do it? It was to save his family. The man of the family was trusting God to save his family. Folks, when we trust the Lord and we walk with the Lord, the first crowd that's getting impacted is our family. And may I say that I think one of the reasons we're seeing so many families go down the tubes today is because the man of the family isn't building anything, isn't trusting God for anything. Just sort of cutting out on that part of it. It requires that we as parents, as leaders in our home, trust the Lord and men and dads that we take the spiritual responsibility that we are given by God, not to push it off on our wife like religion is the woman's thing, but it is our responsibility as a husband and as a dad to believe God and to pick up the work and to build the family in His name to His glory and to build our children in that way. When this nation decides that it's going to get back to doing it God's way, we may stop seeing this nation going down the tubes and burning up right in front of us. I've asked myself in recent weeks, where are the parents of the young people that are burning our cities down? Probably in some cases out there with them. But we're reaping the results of 30 plus years of rejecting God's plan. For dads to be the men in the homes that they are called to be and to lead out in following Jesus and serving Jesus. Notice what it says. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, as he trusted God and he believed God, he was in right standing with God. Now, what is this righteousness that we believe in today? It is that Jesus took our sin on the cross. That he took our guilt and our shame on the cross. That he paid the debt we could not pay. That he rose from the dead. And that my right standing with God is not built on what I can pull off. It's what Jesus already pulled off on the cross. 
and in the resurrection. That I am placing my faith and my trust in Jesus. And I am following him. Faith makes that relationship with God possible. It grows that relationship with him. Faith expresses itself in obedience. My hope is built on nothing less. Not on my feelings. But on Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. But I wholly 100% lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face. And there are going to be a lot of days that that seems to happen. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. It is never an issue of how bad the storm is. It is always an issue of where the anchor is. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed, not in my righteousness, but in his alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That rock will never move. It will always be silent. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we stand on a solid rock. None other than Jesus. And that your oath, your covenant, your pledge to us, your blood that you've already committed yourself to us, support us in the whelming flood. We don't prop ourselves up, Jesus. You hold us up. You keep us standing. And you stand beside us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, for those of you that are in this room and for those who are listening in whatever particular type of social media or over the radio, I want to ask you this morning, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you chosen to follow him? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I will follow you? I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I will follow you. Cleanse me of any area of disobedience in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you, when this service is over with, you're in this room, come. 
I would love to place into your hand a little red book. You'll see it at the exits called Living in Christ that will help you get started in walking with the Lord Jesus. And if you're listening to us through radio or social media, please call the church, send us an email. We will be more than happy to send that book to you to help you begin a walk in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we praise you that our faith is built on you, who is our solid rock. In your name, amen. Let's stand together and sing and praise his name.